0: in the book of Psalms. And and, and Psalms is meant to tune our hearts. It's one thing to know what's true, it's another thing to love what's true. And simply by telling someone a fact doesn't make the heart warm. The Psalms tell us what's true in a beautiful way. There's all kinds of pictures and poems and songs that help us not just to know what's true about God and His world, but to love God and to want to live his ways. So Psalm 1 is this beginning prelude, preparing us to sing and pray these words in the book of Psalms. So let me read uh, Psalm 1, and we'll pray and dive in. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the river bank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. But not the wicked. They are like worthless chaff, scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of the judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly, for the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction." Will you pray with me? Lord, we are grateful uh, that we live in a beautiful, good world that you have made. And it's easy to recognize that on a day like today. Uh, But Lord, we recognize that every day and every season um, we live in a world that you have made. And God, we recognize that we need wisdom to be able to live well in this world. And there are lots of competing ideas and views about how we should live our lives. And so God, I pray you give us the humility this morning uh, to submit ourselves to you, uh, to let you instruct us and guide us and teach us about how we are to live. For we trust that your ways are good and they are right. So thank you, Lord, for this text. Thank you for your spirit. And we pray that you would accomplish your purposes in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, do any of you have uh, maybe a movie that you watch year after year? Kind of like a personal favorite? That is just a go-to movie year after year. Well, the movie that I have watched probably the most in life uh, is Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. This kind of quirky film, uh, it was produced back in 1987. Uh, Steve Martin and uh, John Candy are the the key guys in this movie. And it's set around Thanksgiving time. And so every Thanksgiving, starting probably in the early 90s, I started watching this movie. And every Thanksgiving, I rewatch the movie, and now my family does as well, and it's kind of become tradition in our family. Uh, For those of you that know the story, this will make a lot of sense. For those of you that don't, I'll try to bring you up to speed. Uh, In this movie, Steve Martin's character is this very tightly wound businessman uh, named Neil Page, and he is trying to get home for Thanksgiving. And on his journey home from a business trip, he encounters this very strange, lovable, but kind of obnoxious uh, traveling companion, uh, John Candy's character, Del Griffith. And they're stuck together because their plane gets delayed, then canceled, then the train they're on to get back breaks down, then they rent a car and the car catches on fire. They have all kinds of problems getting home for Thanksgiving. But before the or actually after the car catches fire, no, no, before the car catches fire, they're driving on the interstate in the middle of the night. And through a uh, funny turn of events, they are actually on the wrong side of the highway, but they don't know it. There's no one else on the road, so they're traveling down the highway thinking they're going the right way, not aware they're actually heading straight in the opposite direction toward oncoming traffic. Well, somebody else on the correct side of the road sees them across the divided highway and tries to get their attention. They roll down the window and start yelling, you're going the wrong way, to which they respond back, How do they know which way we're going? And they just keep going the same way. All of a sudden, headlights appear from two large semi-trucks, and they barely skate through alive. But here they are, headed the wrong way, totally oblivious. And what we have here in Psalm 1, in some ways, is a call to unsuspecting people about the direction they are headed in life. Because I all think, I, I think that almost every person believes they're headed the right way in life. We all think we're headed in the right, in a good direction, and Psalm 1 is saying, are you so sure? Are you going the right direction? And it does so by, by pointing out two competing pictures: the picture of the righteous life, pictured as a tree, and the picture of the wicked life pictured as chaff, and the invitation of Psalm 1 as it prepares us to read all the Psalms is, you want to go the direction of the tree. The righteous life is the life to live. So four surprising truths this morning from Psalm chapter 1 about the righteous life and how we can live it. First surprising truth from Psalm 1, there's only two ways to live in life. There's only two ways to live. Uh, We're only given two pictures in this psalm. We're given the picture of the tree and the picture of chaff. And this is very surprising for most of us. I mean, very few people I know tell me they want to live a wicked life. Uh, Whether you're religious or not, I hear very few people saying, what I want in life is to live wickedly. Now, conversely, I also hear very few people, religious or not, saying, what I want is a righteous life. Usually it's somewhere in the middle, you know, not necessarily Hitler and not Mother Teresa. Is there only two ways to live? Isn't there other ways that kind of meld the two? And Psalm 1 says, no, there's two ways and only two ways to live in life. And, And this theme is continued throughout the scriptures, probably most famously in at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus finishes his most famous sermon with a call to people to choose between two ways. He says, wide is the road that goes to destruction. The highway to hell is broad, he says. But narrow is the gate that goes to eternal life. There's two ways, the wide way and the narrow gate. Then he goes on and he says, uh, people that heed these instructions are like a good tree who bears much fruit. But then there's those who ignore instructions and are like a bad tree that bears bad fruit. There's either a good tree or bad tree. And then he finishes up the sermon by saying, those who put these instructions into practice are like a wise person who builds their house on the rock, unlike the foolish person who builds their house on the sand, that when the waves and storms of life come along, the person that builds their house on the sand, their house is washed away, while those that build their house on Christ's instructions remain firm. Two pictures all throughout this message, two ways to live, two ways to live. And we want to say, Isn't there a third? Isn't there another option? And this Psalm tells us that despite all the varieties of people, the varieties of lifestyles, the varieties of cultures, in all actuality, there's only two ways to live. The righteous way, pictured as a tree, or the wicked way, pictured as chaff. And in Psalm 1, we're told the main determiner between those two ways is how a person responds to God's law. Uh, We're told that God's law is what God has revealed to be right and good. And some of this is revealed just in nature. The heavens declare the glory of God. Uh, Romans 1 tells us that just by looking around, we have a sense that we live in a world of beauty, of wonder, of design. We have a conscience. People have a sense there's right and wrong. Just by living We can be aware of the fact that there is a designer who wants us to live a certain way. And the question is, which way? And God has given us His Word to tell us specifically how we are to live. So God's ways are revealed both in nature and more specifically in the Scriptures. The Scriptures give us guidance about how God wants us to live. So a righteous person looks intently to the Scriptures to examine what is right and good when it comes to all areas of life. Like instead of looking to the court of public opinion, or instead of even trusting our own sense of of what is right and good, we all submit ourselves, if we're righteous, to the Word of God. And there are, are so many areas of life that we have to practice this out in when it comes to our sexuality, when it comes to money, when it comes to how we treat those we disagree with, with how we understand our identities, with how we respond to people that harm us. The Scriptures speak to all of these things and tell us the right and good way to live. I love what uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17 says about God's Word. It says, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. See, the righteous person lets God define what is right and good, and then they align their lives to that definition. Now, the contrast in Psalm 1 with uh, uh, the righteous person as the tree is the wicked person that is pictured as chaff, The, the wicked person who does not embrace God's law, but it seeks other ways to define what is right and good in life. And this could be done in a couple ways. It could be an outright denial of God's law. And in Psalm 1, those people are called mockers or scoffers. Those that say, I don't believe that, or that doesn't sound very good. It's just outright denial of what God says is right and good. I don't buy it. But that's not all that Psalm 1 says about a wicked person. If only that were the case, Maybe we'd feel a little bit better about ourselves. But Psalm 1 says it's not just the outright mockers who are wicked. It's those who go along with mockers. Psalm 1 says the righteous person does not stand around with sinners, does not take the, the advice of mockers. But they are submitting themselves only to God. what God reveals is right and good. Um, maybe some of you have found yourself in a position where you don't fully disagree with what God says is right and good, but you're around those who do. And so you're forced into a a pressure situation. Which do you align yourself with? Those around you who will be classified as mockers and scoffers, or what God says is right and good? I remember a time when I was in college, and I was taking class, theater and dance, which probably was the easiest class I had in all of college. And um, one of our main projects in that class was we needed to come up with a skit to produce for the whole class. And I remember taking this, and I had a group that I didn't even know the people I was stuck with, and we met to put the skit together. And the plot line for this skit ended up being uh, really a pretty inappropriate, poor plot line. And I remember thinking, I'm not so sure I agree with how we're portraying sexuality in this skit, but it doesn't really matter. And I remember going along with the plot and playing a key role in the skit, and afterwards feeling like, "You know what? I don't think that was all that smart on my part." And it wasn't. Psalm one would say, "That was the path of wickedness." It wasn't my idea, but I went along with the idea. There go, "I was following the wicked path. So surprising truth number one in this psalm is that there's only two ways to live. And the psalmist wants us to choose the path of righteousness. And here's why. Surprising truth number two. The righteous way brings true joy. The righteous way brings true joy. In describing this way, the psalmist begins by saying, Oh, the joys. That's how Psalm 1 begins. Oh, the joys. Or other translations, blessed is the one. Blessing. Joy comes from walking this path. Now, we don't typically think about righteousness being what produces real joy. Um, I'll show my age here a little bit. I think singer Billy Joel, uh, in one of his most famous songs, kind of articulates our thinking well about this. Where in his song, um, Only the Good Die Young, he sings, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints, because sinners are much more fun only the good die young. And I think that mentality is there for a lot of us. Maybe we shouldn't go along with sinners, but it's a lot more fun. So the righteous way might be right, but it's not really good. And Psalm 1 says, no, 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 no. Not only is it right, it's also good. It's the path where joy is found. Complete alignment to God's law is the path of joy, Now, we tend to have, as human beings, a very shallow view of joy. I call it the the chaff view of joy. And this is a type of happiness, a type of pleasure, that comes uh, as a quick fix. You know, a a pleasure like getting drunk at night, but having a hangover the next day. Like sexual intimacy outside of marriage, that then there's consequences later like gaining money dishonestly or spending it selfishly. All those things do provide temporary pleasure. But the Scriptures do not call those things real joy. It's it's like uh, C.S. Lewis in his book, uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. uh, There's a key character in the book, uh, Edmund, one of the four kids. And when Edmund goes into the magical land of Narnia, he encounters the white witch, the evil uh, figure in the story. And he's enticed in, to be corrupted by her because she offers him Turkish delight, this magical food that is enjoyable and delightful, but does not satisfy. He finds himself wanting more and more of it and actually feeling worse and worse. This is Lewis's way of picturing the pleasure we get from sin. That There is happiness and pleasure there. It does not satisfy. And Psalm 1 says, real joy can only come in alignment with God's law. So the the psalmist is wooing us to this kind of life, and he paints a description here in Psalm 1 of the joys that come from a righteous life. Listen to the description. He says, this kind of life is like a tree that is planted along the riverbank. It's the picture of someone whose life is rooted. Unlike chaff, they just get kind of blown here and there. This is a person who knows who they are, who is established, is secure they're not wondering what's right and good uh, depending on who they're around. There's an anchoredness to this person. They are rooted in life. That produces joy to be established and rooted, but not just rooted anywhere as if you were a tree rooted in the desert, a tree rooted by riverbanks. This speaks to nourishment, that a person that is aligning themselves with God's law is nourished inwardly. God Himself is supplying the, the energy, the life, the resources for living. A righteous person is like a tree planted along the river bank. And then it goes on to say, bearing fruit each season. A fruit tree is made to bear fruit. There is such a joy and a satisfaction that comes from doing what you were made to do. And I think we've all had tastes of that in life, whether it was you're in a relationship and you're investing well and there's a sense of rightness. I was made to love this person this way, to serve this person this way. Or you're, you're doing a certain type of work and you know you have gifting and skill in this area and you're benefiting others. And you say, I know I was made to do this and there's a satisfaction and a joy that comes from that. And Psalm 1 tells us that we as people made in God's images, made in God's image are made to bear fruit. You see, a tree doesn't bear fruit for itself. A tree can't eat its own fruit. Other people benefit from the fruit of the tree. And we also are made to bless others, to benefit others, to produce good for others. And there is a joy that comes when we are living that way. So Psalm 1 says, the righteous person is satisfied that they are doing what God made them to do, producing good for others. Their leaves never wither. Remember, they're planted by the riverbank. They're nourished, they're sustained, and they prosper in all they do. Now, this does not mean every business venture a righteous person goes on um, succeeds, that their income only goes up. It doesn't mean that their health never fails. It doesn't mean they have no relational difficulties. What it means is that when they face financial lack, when they get sick, when they run into relational problems, they're not crushed that even those things God uses to continue to grow them, to shape them, to build their character, to be of eternal worth. Everything that happens to a righteous person, God uses for their good and His glory. They prosper in all they do. Surprising truth number two, the righteous way brings true joy. The righteous way is the life we long for, whether we know it or not. Surprising truth number three, the righteous way requires delight, not just duty. The righteous way requires delight, not just duty. The psalmist declares that true joy isn't found just by reading the law. It doesn't say, oh, what joy for those who don't go along with the wicked and read God's law. No. It doesn't say, oh, what joy for those who don't go along with the wicked and know and believe God's law. It doesn't even say what joy for those who don't go along with the wicked and do God's law. It says what joy for those who delight in God's law. What joy for those who delight in God's law. They delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. See what we delight in, we meditate upon. We think about, we ponder. We we can't get it out of our heads. Um, Today's actually my 23rd uh, wedding anniversary, and so I was remembering uh, when Wendy and I first started dating uh, 24 years ago. And I was in college, she was in college, and I thought about her all the time. And consequently, I took a lot of action toward her. I spent an obscene amount of money on long-distance phone bills. Remember those? Long-distance phone bills. I didn't care. I called her up all the time. I wrote letters. Remember those. I wrote letters. I, I took road trips to go visit her in college in Philadelphia. I, I, it's, it's a good thing I passed my classes that year because I wasn't thinking about them at all. What you delight in, you meditate on. And the psalmist is telling us here that a righteous person is not someone who grudgingly does what is right and good. A righteous person is someone who delights in doing what is right and good, who thinks all the time about God and what he says is right and good in life. A person who doesn't think that sinners are much more fun, but truly believes that God's way of life leads to flourishing. Psalm 40, verse 8, describes the truly righteous person. Listen to the, the description, I delight to do your will, O my God, your law is within my heart. God's law is not something outside us that we're trying so hard to attain. It's within and something we delight to do. Well, when we realize what righteousness actually is, not just knowing God's law, not just believing God's law, not even just doing God's law, but delighting in God's law, well, if we're honest, Then we have to conclude with David in Psalm 14, verses 2 through 3, where he says, The Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God, but no. All have turned away, all have become corrupt. No one does good, not a single one. See, if I'm honest, There's aspects of God's law that I delight in, and there's aspects I do not. I know I should, but if I'm honest, I know there are things that I would do differently if I were God. And what God says is that is the path of wickedness. So you have people that are outright rejecting God's law, those that want to do God's law but still struggle, those that are actually more fully living God's law but don't really delight in it. Those are our options. We all... Fall short of God's standard of righteousness. This is the human dilemma. And what that means is that none of us are the tree. None of us are righteous. We all are chaff in Psalm 1, which leads to surprising truth number four. Thankfully, the righteous way has been opened to wicked people. The righteous way, the way that produces joy in life, has been opened to wicked people. See, if we think the message of this psalm is try harder to live the righteous life, then this psalm is not good news. Far from it, it's crushing. You'll try harder and harder and find yourself struggling more and more. Try harder to delight in God's ways doesn't work. You can't force delight through effort alone. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor who was martyred uh, at the end of World War II in Germany. Uh, He wrote this about the Psalms and how we're to understand the Psalms in light of what Christ has done. He said, if we want to read and pray the prayers of the Bible, and especially the Psalms, we must not, therefore, first ask what they have to do with us, but what they have to do with Jesus Christ. Psalm 1 is not primarily about us. It is about Jesus the Son of God who came to earth to rescue and redeem wicked people whom He dearly loves. I mean, think about Psalm 1 and put Jesus in there. Though Jesus was often around sinners because He loved them, He never followed their advice or joined in with their mocking of God's law. Not once was Jesus dissuaded from the truth of God's way. He was not led astray when tempted by religious leaders, political leaders, even Satan himself. Jesus never caved in to the wicked way. Jesus fully delighted in the law of God. He he got up early and prayed to his Father. He thought all the time about what is right and good. He loved doing his Father's will. Loved it. And like a flourishing tree that produces good fruit, he produced good for so many. His teaching, his healing, his feeding, his serving, his loving. His life was a life for others. Jesus is the righteous tree that Psalm 1 describes. And he has made a way for those who have not delighted in God's law to become righteous and thereby experience the blessings of the righteous way. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, we hear how this happened. It says, he, he being Jesus, he himself bore our sins on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. There is a tree that can make wicked people righteous. Jesus, the righteous one, he bore our sins in his body on the cross, the cross, the tree, and he took upon himself all the times, that we've scoffed at what God says is right and good. He took the consequences in his body of all the times we have gone along with those who scoff, and he delighted to die for those who have not delighted in him. On the cross, he took our wickedness and offers us his righteousness. And when we trust in Jesus, his record, uh, his righteous record, is applied to us. This is what it means to be a Christian. It's to let Christ's record stand in our place, that we trust what He has done, and then Psalm 1 then does become about us after it's first about Jesus, that we can be the righteous person of Psalm 1 through faith in Jesus Christ. And as we are trusting in Jesus, we find mystery of mysteries, our hearts begin to change. We find we start wanting to do the things that God says is right and good. Not perfectly, this side of heaven, until Christ comes back, where our desires will not be perfect. But they are changing. In a Christian, our desires are changing. We begin to want to do what God says. That's how we tell if God's Spirit is working within us. There's a growing want to in the Christian life. So, as we trust in and abide in Jesus, we can become like trees planted along the riverbank, rooted, secure, established, nourished by God Himself. We won't wither in life, but will bear good fruit lives that will bless others as we love and serve those God, that God brings our way. And we will prosper in all we do, healthy or sick, rich or poor, successful or not. God will use all of these experiences to grow those who trust in Jesus in their character, and He'll use those experiences to bring blessing to others. As we finish up here, I have two questions for you. first, is, have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you asked Him to put His record on your life? Have you asked Him to take the wickedness of your life and wipe it away? That's what He promises to do. He says, for all who come to Him, if you confess your sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we all have unrighteousness. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? And asked him to forgive your sin and to give you his righteousness. Second question for those of you who have trusted in Jesus, what area of your life are you struggling to delight in God's law? This side of heaven, we're all gonna have areas that we struggle to delight in God's law. Where is it for you right now? Is it in your sexuality? Is it in your finances? Is it in treating people who have wronged you? Where are you struggling right now to delight? Now, what God says is right and good actually is right and good. Here's what you can do. Be honest with God about it. He already knows. Ask Him to continue to forgive that area and to give you new power. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. Gives us a new power to live what God says is right and good. Bring it to God. He is faithful. Not only will He forgive us, He will change us that we can live the righteous way. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much.